Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day kind of good. Phone charge to 100% good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a Trunk Club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. Look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. FreshBooks is a ridiculously easy-to-use accounting software for small business owners that saves you time and gets you paid faster. Now used by over 10 million people worldwide. For your 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com slash Forbes and enter interview in the How Did You Hear About Us section. This is the Forbes interview on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do deep-dive interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. These are the faces you see on the cover of Forbes. And if they aren't in the cover, they easily could be. Today, we have Oshin Hanrahan, the co-founder and CEO of Handy, which basically, among other things, turns your smartphone into uh, remote control for everything you need for your house. Oshin, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Great to be here. Thanks so much. So first, let me ask you a question. Are you yourself handy? In what sense? If I need like an Ikea shelf built and mounted perfectly on my wall, were you the guy growing up that can do that kind of stuff? Absolutely. So we, uh, we recently did a, a small trial in the office where uh, we were trying to get the senior team to compete a little more with each other. So we got into groups of three. So group, Sorry, groups of two. So we had six people. And we had an intense competition to put together an Ikea Billy bookcase, which is the easiest piece of Ikea furniture you could possibly book. Are those like together. the white ones, like the thin white ones? It's the thin one with like half a dozen shelves on yeah. it. Like you, you should really be able to put this together. And watching half a dozen people try and put it together, it wasn't pretty. But we won. Our team won. So it was good. That's good team building. Or it could be like team breaking. It's kind of like American Gladiators in the office with Ikea. Well, we've got a good video of it. So we, it's actually on YouTube. We should, uh, we should share it. It's good. It's funny. Are the are the cases hanging? Are they mounted to the wall right now? At handy, uh, probably mounted. They're yeah. Let's go with yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no. To answer your question, yeah, I was uh, I'm relatively handy. I can you know use a drill, use a screwdriver, put stuff together. Less good at cleaning, but pretty good at handyman stuff. Yeah, and, we're, and speaking of cleaning, let's start at the top. I want to hear about the origin of handy. You and your partner Umang were in Harvard Business School on the fast track to consultancy probably <laughs> but no, you guys well, met he was a former consultant you former know that, cons- right? really everyone, yes. isn't everyone a former consultant no I mean I wasn't but sure no but you guys were HBS yeah roommates that's right and yeah. there was a third guy too. the third guy and how did you dis- how did the idea for handy which was then handy book come about look I'm from Dublin from Ireland my background was in real estate development and construction and Myself and a friend, we started another business focused on political technology, and I'd always been starting things and like running things. And uh, I went to business school, and when I was there, I you know was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. So we were both in, in Boston, and I, from my background in construction, I'd had this problem of how do you find people you can trust to put things together, or you know go back when you'd sell an apartment or renovate an apartment to go mm-hmm. back and you know do touch ups, and. It was always this challenge. And when we were in Boston, we were kicking around business ideas. We were kicking around this problem of, hey, how could you find a cleaner? How could you find a handyman? How could you, you know, get something done inside an apartment? And we realized that it was this really clunky experience. And we started to build out, you know, 
the initial idea in the summer between first and second year of business school. And it just started to work. So I think these marketplaces have that stage where you're just trying to figure out, does anyone care? Like, does anyone really care? Does anyone want to buy? Does anyone want to sell? And within you know a couple of weeks of putting up what you rightly called was handybook.com mm-hmm. back then, uh, people were buying and selling, and we were like, "Wow, this is a this is a thing." And uh, you know, instead of continuing on, we we dropped out of business school and, and really started to build on this idea that we could we could change how people buy services. We could get to this place where buying services would be magical instead mm-hmm. of this this messy, clunky kind of pain in the butt. What was that inflection point that got you from moonlighting this business idea to say, you know what, we're going to drop out of school and do this full time? Look, I think there are very few moments in time when you're working on something that's got real potential. It's like a massive opportunity. So you think about the size of the market and everyone's like, oh, is it a big market? Yeah, $400 billion are spent on services, home services in the U.S. every year. So you're working on something that's a huge opportunity. You can help millions of people get work in an amazingly flexible way. Mm-hmm. You can help hundreds of thousands, or sorry, tens of millions of people buy services. And you've got something that's actually working. And you're working with people that you really like. Like You think about like a Venn diagram of all those little circles, and you're like, wow, this is... This is a special moment, and that was that was five years ago. You know, it's very easy to go back and finish business school. It's pretty hard to recreate these moments when you've got that spark of, mm-hmm. hey, this is a thing that I really enjoy doing. I like the people I'm working with. I respect them a lot, and I could build something that really scales. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. Having an up-to-date payment system is one of those things like a aggravating rattle in your engine that you might let slide to the bottom of the to-do list. Everything's working now, so you'll get to it when you get to it, but that's not necessarily a practical strategy. Leave it too long and you could be stranded on the side of the highway. And when you're talking about getting paid, you don't want to get stranded. It might not be a bad time to check in with Braintree and keep your business humming. Braintree, rethink payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. When you first started, was it always based on on mobile and apps, or did you build it for a desktop first? So... It's funny you ask that. It's actually both. And for the customer, it was desktop first. Mm -hmm. So this is five years ago. It was definitely desktop first. But for the professionals, there was no no technology product that they were using to start with. It was text messaging. Mm -hmm. So you think about like the layer, like we have this, obviously the world is thinking about chat bots and like how bots are interacting now. That... That first experience for pros was, yeah, they did an application online, but the whole flow after that, the way in which we would dispatch them jobs, remind them, like everything was text message. And that evolved through time. And it went from just like tens of messages to hundreds, thousands, tens of that. I mean, it got to a point where we were sending hundreds of thousands of text messages a day. Hmm. And we we're like, this won't work anymore. Let's, let's think about like how we can actually scale this. And that was when we moved from, uh, text message to mobile web for our pros and then we moved uh, into the app as well and it's going to been this iteration for pros going along that journey and for customers it's been kind of almost backwards they started on desktop mm-hmm. and then moved on to uh, onto mobile apps and i guess most of our customers now the vast majority interact with handy in the mobile app how did you get this started because um, you really you were building a two-sided marketplace in a in a especially with cleaning it was just always a classic kind of off-the-books, unorganized kind of business. Um, you know, I think it employs a lot of, you know, I think 
applies, I mean, I'm not sure, at least in the Northeast, a lot of immigrants and new Americans. How did you kind of put this all together? I think you go out at the very beginning and you try and figure out, are people going to buy and are people going to sell? And on the sell side of the market, we put out a small number of classified ads saying, mm. hey, do you want to work as a cleaner? Do you want to like work as a handyman? And we had thousands and thousands of applications within 24 hours. So we had all these people applying and then we had to figure out, are these people going to be any good? Like, mm. Are they... You know, are they trustworthy individuals? Do they have a bank account? Are they going to be good cleaners? Are they going to be good handymen? And we kind of went through that first vetting process, and we literally interviewed them. So we had hundreds of people come in back-to-back in 10, 15-minute interviews, sometimes in group interviews. Mm -hmm. And we just interviewed them, like, day after day after day. We were just interviewing hundreds of people. These are people that you're letting into other – you're letting strangers into other strangers' homes. What kind of questions do you ask to vet and tell this is a person's good, this person might not be a good fit? Um, this is someone I want representing the company. Yeah, I mean, I think at the very beginning we were trying to figure that out, so we had no idea what to ask. So we, you know, were thinking about okay, what would make a great cleaner, and we went to find a couple of great cleaners. And once we found them, we said, hey, how can you help us find other great cleaners? And it turns out there are very real questions you can mm-hmm. ask about cleaning. So, what's the right cleaning product to use on a stove? What's the you know order in which you would clean things in a kitchen? Like, how would you clean a mirror? So there's like very detailed questions you can ask. You're not asking general questions like, hey, have you been a cleaner before? Mm-hmm. You're trying to get into the nitty-gritty to figure out, does somebody really know their job? The same way that, you know, if you were interviewing a journalist, you'd, you'd I don't know, how, how would I interview a journalist? That's a whole other story. <laughs> you ask for clips. You ask for reasons. You ask for clips to show that they've written before and they've published and they can form a sentence. Although there's a lot of journalists out there that actually can't write a sentence. But that's a whole other story. Huh. Are we, are we ripping on journalists now? Everybody ripping on ripping on myself. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's kind of I have you know buddies in the in, in the chef in the cooking industry, and they say one of the first tests is you ask someone, you ask a would be chef to uh, make a, make an egg for you, make an omelet. That's kind of like a basic test to show some some skills. Make an omelet. Make an omelet. Can you make an omelet? I, can, I have I have my uh, ups and downs. Oops. I can make scrambled eggs. I mean, scrambled eggs are pretty easy. Yeah. Well, you're Irish. Can you boil an egg? Of course, I can boil an egg. That's good. I can make scrambled eggs. I can boil them. I worked in a kitchen. You know, that was my first job. I worked in a kitchen uh, as a kitchen porter. So, you know, the people who clean the pots and scrub the dishes mm-hmm. and, like, stack the dishwasher, take out the trash. Yeah, that was my first job. So, How yeah. Was, can, that, was that in Dublin? That was just outside Dublin, a place called uh, Rathcool. And uh, I remember being able to work there kind of evenings, weekends. And there was this one, uh, there was this one Saturday or Sunday morning. And I was in there doing the early, like the cleanup before start shift. And some, some, somebody came into the kitchen and uh, I was a waiter and he said, Hey, like there's a, there's a guest outside. I, I know the kitchen's not open, but they're a regular. Can you like throw on some breakfast? And mm-hmm. I must've been I don't know, 14, 15, uh, like this was a part-time job. And I was like, well, I really don't know if I can make bacon and eggs, but like, we'll give it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah. So yeah, that was my, uh, that was, that was my professional debut of cooking. How did, how did it turn out? I, I mean... I don't think anyone got poisoned, so I'll count it as a win. But uh, after that, I probably decided I should probably learn how to cook properly. Well, I figure being a, <laughs> being a dishwasher is probably good training for being a, a tech founder. Being a dishwasher, good training for tech. I, I mean, it's the service business. Why not? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know, a curious thing happened to FreshBooks on its way to becoming the largest cloud accounting software platform for small business owners in the world. As a company, they've managed to stay small while soaring to over 10 million users strong. Or is it the other way around? Has FreshBooks' customer base soared because their company has stayed small? Named as a small giant on Forbes' list of best small companies this year, 
FreshBooks has been recognized for focusing on greatness over growth by drastically simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, and delivering award-winning customer service that usually picks up in under three rings. FreshBooks has changed how small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. This is really only a fraction of what FreshBooks can do, and they want you to see more. To claim your 30-day free trial, no credit card required, just go to freshbooks.com/forbes and enter "interview" in the "How did you hear about us?" section. You had this idea. You're leaving school. You're in Boston. What are the next steps? How did you grow this? Because right now you're in what more than 20 cities. So we're in 28 cities, 20 25 cities. in the U.S., two in Canada and London. And if you If you go all the way back, so we're trying to figure out how do we sell services, how do we buy services, uh, how do we facilitate that. We've thousands of people applying to be cleaners and handymen. We've got a lot of immediate customer interest, and our customers at that point were coming to the site, and they were it, the site was so simple. It was it was a single page. It was called the three W's page. What do you want? Where do you want it? When do you want it? Mm-hmm. And that was three columns. And the site was so simple that people would check out, and then they would call us. We had a phone back then, and they would say, "Hey, I didn't really mean to make that booking." So there was the, there was this like simplicity in what we were building that was magical, but it was almost like too simple at the time. We actually mm-hmm. had to draw the we had to draw the process out a little bit more and make it clearer what was going on. But we had this idea, and I think that marketplaces follow this pattern of: Does anyone care? And the second phase is: Can you win the market? Mm-hmm. So be bigger than almost anyone else, and that's the idea that winners are going to take most. So whether you're in the top one, two, three, you're certainly going to take more than uh, the vast majority of what comes after that. And we believe very strongly that this was a category where it was going to be winner takes most. And the reason for that was we were seeing this network effect of customers mm-hmm. driving. Bookings, bookings driving pros, pros driving availability, and that coming all the way back around and driving customers and bookings again, and that meant that this was going to be winner takes most, and we had to keep that flywheel going, and we had to keep it going, but very narrowly focused on particular cities and a particular vertical, and we picked cleaning because mm-hmm. it's this magical vertical that recurs. So recurring services are kind of special because they allow you to have incredible unit economics. They allow you to build great brand trust, credibility. You're engaging with the customer. It's not like a you know a plumbing service where you don't need a plumber every you know, week. You certainly mm-hmm. shouldn't need them every week. So you're only looking to your plumber every couple of years. Whereas with cleaning, you've got this incredible ability to be in someone's home on a regular basis and really get to know them. Your customer, what's the average? Um, do people have uh, someone come every week, every two weeks? It depends. Every couple of weeks, yeah. the average. So I mean, we have three service offerings: weekly, every two weeks, every four weeks, but. Typically, it's every couple of weeks. If I have a recurring service, do I have the same cleaner each time? So, so they know like my what I like and I know what they're used to? So in the very beginning, we didn't build it like that. We built it as just a true black box marketplace. But we've learned along the way that people really want that. Mm-hmm. And that's now a very core part of it. So we've introduced what we call pro teams and favorite pros that allow you to instantly see, hey, is that my professional? Can I get them back again? They provide their calendar or schedule, or they can provide it, and that allows you to instantly book in and get the same professional mm-hmm. back again and again. And that's a that's actually a pretty complicated system that we've built over the last five years that really optimizes for what the customer wants and what the professional wants. Because obviously, in these things, there's there's two sides, and mm-hmm. you may think, hey, I'd really like to have your cleaner come back at you know seven a.m. on a Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever day of the week it is, or two p.m. 
The reality is he or she may not want to do that. Mm-hmm. So there's this like dual opt-in that you've got to figure out. We figured out how to build this platform that really optimizes for what both customers mm-hmm. and professional wants or professionals want. And that's what's allowed us to build a liquidity in the marketplace and get to this world where we've beaten out most of the other players in the category. We've gotten this dominant position where there's more cleaning happening on handy on handy.com and the handy mobile app than anywhere else. There's more mm-hmm. professionals than anywhere else doing cleaning work. And it's in this virtuous cycle of kind of getting to this place where it's the best experience. So it's the best experience for customers and the best experience for pros. And if you kind of get to that third phase, so you know, once you've beaten out the market, the third phase of these things is to figure out the business model and actually mm-hmm. make the economics work and get to this, you know, sustainable place where you've actually built a built a long-term business. And that's what that's what we spent the last 2 years doing. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree, rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. You know, you've been around for five years, which is not, not a long time, but in the startup world, it's a very long time. Like, a lot's changed. Basically, one of the topics where you guys switched from, I guess you'd say, market growth to, I guess, you, what would you call it, quality or, or profitability? Look, I think the first phase is, does anyone care? The second phase is win the market. The mm-hmm. third phase is build a long-term sustainable business. And I think that's, you know, on the one hand, it's the things that the finance folks get really excited about and the operations mm-hmm. team gets really excited about. It's not that exciting for some people who are there in the very early part because it's a lot about the nuts mm-hmm. and bolts. It's about optimizing each part of the business, figuring out what's the best way to deliver customer service, the best way to deliver your operational experience, the best way to figure out like everything. Every in, every little part of the business needs to be optimized, and that's kind of where we've spent the last two years. And it's been very it's it's been a lot of fun, but it's been it's been a different mm-hmm. sort of fun to that early, just up and to the right. It doesn't matter, grow at all costs. Can you give me a few examples of ways you've optimized? Sure. I mean, you pick anything. You know, from reducing discounts on certain channels and figuring out what's the best way to acquire customers and what's the best channel, what's the best discount amount to our customer service teams where we used to have, you know, 100 100 plus people just handling tickets Mm -hmm. here in New York. And what we've done over time is build self-service tools that allow customers to pick their own favorite pro, reschedule with that pro, edit their hours, look for, you know, a a refund on an incorrect charge or adjust their hour, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. cancel a booking, reschedule a booking, all those things before, they were manual processes. There were people just doing that for our customers. And we had to figure out how to do that, you know, in an automated way. And so that's, I think is that's, that automation, AI, all that sort of stuff. It a lot of it's just rudimentary uh, feature building that allows your customers to self serve. But there is some uh, there is some automation in terms of how we respond to customer mm-hmm. tickets. Where in certain tickets, when you submit them, they're handled automatically, they're screened, uh, and automated. An automated response comes back to you and says, "Hey, here's what we think your issue is. We've resolved it, mm-hmm. and we get it right." You know, on those tickets, I think there's fifteen, twenty percent of tickets we get it right about seventy five, eighty percent of the time for mm-hmm. those tickets. And yeah, I mean, you then go to the pro side, and we've we've taken that manual process of onboarding pros, like the whole thing that used to happen in person and a whole lot of clunkiness. And we've made that automated. So now our pros do an automated background check and automated reference in terms of their uh, social security. They take a, they take a selfie. There's really cool 
uh, API that we plug into where you take a selfie, you blink to prove that you're not a photo, <laughs> and you take a photo of your ID and it does facial recognition on you know the selfie versus the, the photo on your driver's license. So we know you are who you say you are. And we do all these things to try and make the platform more secure, but it's definitely made it also much more efficient. And that's great. It allows us to build a better experience for customers, professionals, and build a more sustainable business. Do you, and all this tech, do you build it internally, or do you look to other people, other sources for this? I mean, it's a hybrid, but the whole thing sits on our own platform. Mm-hmm. So whether, I mean, we obviously, well, not maybe not obviously, we didn't build our own play, a payments platform. We mm-hmm. plug into Stripe for payments, but it's our own platform that you know, handles everything. There's been a lot of new marketplaces using technology, whether it's Uber or Grubhub or Hotels Tonight or even something like Kayak. Like, do you look to these other companies for guidance and ways to they fix things and overcome challenges? Look, I think uh, marketplaces have similarities and differences. So you think about some of the similarities. Yeah, they're all going to have this problem acquiring supply, acquiring demand, the matching. Mm-hmm. And then there's payments, there's security, there's trust, safety. There's all these commonalities. But then marketplaces, some of them are very, very different. So you think about Handy. Handy has a very real difference in that we have pros, our professionals, coming into your home. And that's mm-hmm. just a very unique part of our business. So do we look to you know, the, the way in which other marketplaces handle payments or handle trust and safety? For sure. But there are just unique parts of every business where you got to go and figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think we've done a lot of work on figuring out what's the best way, not just to optimize for the pro showing up, but what the pro does inside your home and how we can deliver that experience and make it magical every single time. And not just in cleaning, but more recently in uh, in handyman services as well. And I think it's it's been it's been a real challenge for us to figure that out. But it's it's really great to be at a place where. We're getting such consistently high ratings on our cleaning and handyman services. And how do you handle that problem? Because you know these are people coming into your home. They're in your most intimate spaces, your bedrooms, your kitchens, your bathrooms, your, you know, your trusted spots. Um, and if, they, if something happens there, if they mess something up or you feel any way violated in any way, you, know, you don't forget that. That's your house. It's not like a bad you know, Airbnb night or a bad Uber ride. Like they, they're in your home. How do you prevent that and how do you have upside and protect against any downside yeah so we do a lot of work in onboarding our professionals on trust and safety background checks and we do a lot of work in terms of their first few bookings to figure out are they going to be great so Mm -hmm. we do more vetting on their first couple of bookings figuring out you know getting extra feedback from those customers on whether we should continue to keep folks on the platform and then we do obviously all the standard things about ratings and it's not just a you know one to five it's a lot of detail on how good was this person what did you like that they or what did they do that you liked what do they not do how can mm-hmm. you do better or how can they do better in the future and we look at all this data and we feed it back to the professionals to make sure that they're going to continue to improve mm-hmm. and then of course Look, this is a person-to-person business. We've done millions and millions of transactions of putting pairs of people together for you know tens of millions of hours at this point. So sometimes things go wrong, and that's you know that's part of life. That's part of the business. So we've got a twenty-four-seven customer care team that responds to inquiries very, very quickly. We respond to over ninety-five percent of them in fifteen minutes or less. Mm-hmm. So we're there when something goes wrong. We have a handy happiness guarantee. We've millions of dollars of insurance. And we've been very fortunate to make sure that when things go wrong, we stand behind our word and we try and make it right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. The best in paranormal talk radio is here on Podcast One as part of the Jericho Network. Beyond the Darkness examines all aspects of the supernatural every day, Monday through Friday. And now, the same team behind Beyond the Darkness bring you the most frighteningly real-life dramas on True Crime Tuesday. Subscribe now by visiting darknessradio.com. Then, click the True Crime Tuesday banner. Again, that's True Crime Tuesday. Visit darknessradio.com and click the True Crime Tuesday banner. Subscribe now. The Forbes interview is brought to you by WordPress.com. WordPress powers 27% of all websites, including Forbes blogs. Get 15% off your new website today at WordPress.com slash Forbes. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes. How do you surprise and delight the customer that when they expect a clean kitchen and they clean the kitchen, how do you go above that expectation? I think one of the things about this business, and I think you, you pointed about about this industry, is that it's an old school gray market economy business mm-hmm. typically. And that means it's very clunky. So that means it's filled with a lot of folks who are pretty unreliable. It's filled with anxiety around whether someone's actually going to show up. It's filled with the clunkiness of people only accepting cash. It's mm-hmm. filled with people being unreliable every third or fourth time and crying off and saying, hey, I actually can't come today. It's like mm-hmm. something's gone wrong. So when you think about the experience on Handy, you go to the mobile app, put in your zip code, you say, I need a cleaner later today. So it's, you know, whatever time it is, imagine three hours later, you say, mm-hmm. hey, I need a cleaner this evening at six o'clock. And it's instantly confirmed. 30 minutes before the booking, you can watch the person arrive the same way you'd watch an Uber or Lyft driver arrive. After the job is done, you can rate them. You have a little checklist that you know allows them to, or allows you to say, "Hey, this is actually what I want you to do," mm-hmm. and they magically show up. They do the work, and you can rate them, and they leave. It's pretty magical versus the old school way of doing this. So, it's not like that existed, you know, even four or five years ago, and that process is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So we're the one press a button service, and it's all taken care of. It's press a button. And it's a service. So we're, we're, we're kind of used to this in goods now. So mm-hmm. Amazon made us accustomed to one click, hey, I want you to deliver toothpaste, you know, toilet paper, mm-hmm. olive oil, whatever the heck it is I want to order. And it shows up. And that's pretty magical. At least it was five or six years ago. Yeah. It's no longer magical. It's expected. It's expected. But that's not the case yet in services. So you know, Uber has kind of made it a little like that in transport. But the idea of local services being delivered at the touch of a button, it's still pretty incredible. And I think that's where we've got this, you know, this wind behind us that we're at the very earliest stage of people buying local services online. Like, do you remember the first service you bought online? I think way back in the day, I think I was with my dad in the old, in the basement with the dial-up computer. And I think we bought an airline ticket. And he looked at me like, you think we should do this? I'm like, yeah, let's 
let's do this. And it was like launching a, a rocket into space. Like we put our credit card information on AOL and it was, and we bought a, a ticket. I don't know where we went, but that was the first purchase we ever made. And it was one of those crazy modems that made that sound. Though. Oh yeah, exactly. The whole thing, like, you know, the, you got mail. This is, you know, yeah, yeah. probably 1995, 96. So the first product that people typically bought online was media, like a, a book. What, did you, the what, was first, your, what was the first thing you bought? The first product I bought online was a map and it was from amazon.co.uk. I was in Ireland and I bought a map on .co.uk, Amazon. What was the map of? I think it was a map of Eastern Europe, actually. Um, the second thing, the, the first service I bought online, same as you, it was travel. So it was a flight to, uh, it was a flight from Dublin to London or a flight mm-hmm. from Dublin to Brussels or something like that. And I think the first wave of services that people bought, they might have actually bought from Expedia or Priceline or Orbitz, but they were buying Hilton or they were buying Holiday Inn or they were buying American Airlines yeah, or Ryanair. Yeah, it was not like some random thing. They were buying these old school brands. And I think the wave that's happening now that we're just at the very beginning of is you're seeing these aggregators, but the aggregators are the brand. So whether you're buying on Handy or you're buying on Uber or Airbnb, you're actually not buying any individual service provider's brand directly. You're buying it because it's part of that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty magical. It means these brands, these platforms are creating a lot of value for individuals because we're standing behind the worker. We're giving them a guarantee. Trust is payment. You have all the information and it's it's all of the things that have happened over the last four or five years have allowed this to happen in local. So you think about geolocation that you know, didn't frankly exist before we had this proliferation of you know mobile devices that have you know not just GPS but GPS uh, Wi-Fi signaling and mm-hmm. uh, cell tower matching. So it's all of that combined with the fact that we can now do background checks very very easily with an API. We can do this you know remote verification. And people are familiar and accustomed to mobile payments. So all of that comes together. And it's only in the last couple of years that we've been able to build the same level of experience for local services that you could have built for, you know, much more large homogenous services at a, at a, at a bigger scale. And, you know, the, the most real example for us is the, the, the text messaging with pros. The reason we started with text messaging, one, mm-hmm. it was easy for our professionals when we started. But the second one is our pros didn't actually have smartphones with data so that demographic that we're dealing with our our pros our cleaners five years ago they didn't have smartphones with data at anywhere near you know 95 100 mm-hmm. percent. it was 35 40 and, and now we, it's getting ubiquitous oh it's 100 percent ubiquitous yeah. close to 100 percent ubiquity across our pro base it's you know these folks already have smartphones with data and mm-hmm. we went from this world of text messaging to this intermediate place where we actually subsidized uh, phones for our professionals, where we were either giving them out or giving out loaners. And then gradually we got off that program because they had their own device and they mm-hmm. had their own data. Where is Handy going in the next few years? If we're at this early stage of, of kind of service on demand and localized service. We set this huge vision out there of how do we deliver every service to every home. So it's this massive thing that's almost impossible. It's like, okay, how are we going to be able to deliver a platform or build a platform that can deliver every service to every home? And we've managed to make it work in cleaning. We've got it working in handyman services. And we're pretty excited about continuing to expand across a few different dimensions. So you've got more geographies. We're only in you know, 30% of the U.S. today, which is a decent amount, or 35% yeah. of the U.S. So we've got you know, 2x to run there or 2x more to run there. 
And then we've got other categories. So we cover cleaning services, handyman services. There's so many other categories in the home that we can start to look at. And then we've got these other things where we can start to look at you know, how we can bundle products and services together. So a lot of what's going on right now is people are buying, you know, whether it's furniture or whether it's a TV that needs to be mounted or they're you know, buying things that need to be put together. We're trying to figure out what's the best way to bundle those experiences together because it doesn't actually make a lot of sense for you to come to Handy and buy, you know, or go to a furniture website, buy furniture, and then mm-hmm. come to Handy and buy uh, um by the assembly service. So we're looking at how we can tight, more tightly integrate those things to make the experience even better for customers. Would you partner with, like, let's say, yeah, you buy a TV off Best Buy and the option to have Handy install it for you kind of thing? I, I think we're looking at all sorts of options right now to figure mm-hmm. out what's the best experience, but it's it's a really interesting market for us because a lot of our customers, obviously, if we're doing furniture assembly, they're buying that furniture somewhere, and then they're coming to Handy to figure out how they can get it assembled. What about, um, besides, you know, obviously cleaning is your most popular service, but in terms what other things are people getting these days? What, what are the requests? Yeah, I mean, we never set out to build a cleaning company. We never set out to mm-hmm. build a, a platform that just serves cleaning. It's a, obviously a you know, 10 plus billion dollar market in the US, but it wasn't what we set out to build. It just grows so quickly because cleaning's recurring. Mm-hmm. It's like the things that you get, you know, again and again and again, they just turn out to be such lucrative businesses. So right now, cleaning is core. Handyman is a great business. We're starting to look at plumbing, electrical, carpentry, painting, all these other categories. And we're not going to roll them out you know, in a big bang and do lots of them all at once. We'll gradually do this in a very, very, very logical way. And mm-hmm. we'll pick a category, go super deep on it, and figure out how we can build the best experience in the category. We don't, you know, we don't set out to just do a category just to do it. Like, there is no better place you can go to book a cleaning service than Handy. Like the experience is more magical there than anywhere else. And when we take on a new category, we want to be able to say that mm-hmm. about that category too. What's it like being – describe to me life as a, a founder these days. I think we're, we might have been at a, a bar somewhere, you and I, and I think we were talking about just as they always compare the, you know, the early pictures of presidents on their way in and the presidents on the way out, how they look different and haggard and aged – I think you were saying that they should do that with founders, too. Was it about myself? No, I think just in general that basically, <laughs> yes. So you're going reverse. You're actually, you're aging like a fine bottle of wine machine. You are, you're, uh, Benjamin, you're the Benjamin Button. Of, oh, for of, Tony, of you're, you're just saying nice things now, and most of them are lies. Um, we're saying it's hard. I it's, think it's a it's hard, hard. hard work. Look, I mean, these things are just generally hard. There's just lots of stakeholders. You've got, you know, customers. You've got professionals. You've got team you've got investors you've got uh whether it's you know we're operating obviously in a 1099 w2 environments you've got some legislation involved it's just a complicated place to be and i think generally marketplaces are tough businesses and that's no matter what kind of marketplace you're running you clip into local and then it's like well local marketplaces are generally like exceptionally hard businesses to run and i think that makes it tough on everyone involved it makes it tough on your team and I've been fortunate, myself, my co-founder, Among, have been fortunate to build out a great team that are really shouldering a lot of the weight. And we've gotten to a place where each you know person on the team is really taking responsibility for their core area and helping give more leverage uh, mm-hmm. to the business overall and helping take responsibility and really shoulder it. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's, it's hard to run these things. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Here at the Forbes interview, we know that creating great things sometimes comes down to having the right support system. And that's why we're excited to have WordPress.com as a sponsor. They've been supporting us behind the scenes for a while as home to Forbes blogs. We use WordPress.com every day. And let me tell you, whether you're looking to create a personal blog, a business site, or both, you'll make a big impact when you build your website on WordPress.com. Even if you don't have experience building a website, WordPress can guide you through the process. They have hundreds of themes to get you started. Just pick a template and make it your own. You'll get built-in search engine optimization and social sharing. When you build your website on WordPress.com, you're part of a community with support 24-7 when you need it. Come see why 27% of all websites run on WordPress. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to WordPress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes for 15% off a brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. What's been some of the biggest surprises you've faced when you're starting this company? Like things that you never expected you'd have to tackle? when you guys are first at HBS trying to plan this this company? I, I think in general, when you take, you know, if you're starting one of these businesses and you weren't going to raise venture money and you said, hey, how can we, or you were going to raise a very small amount of money, and you say, how can we organically get to the size we're at? You'd probably look at it and think it's like a 15, 20-year journey. Mm-hmm. And then you compress that down to four or five years. So you're taking all of the unexpected things that were going to happen over 15 to 20 years, and you're going to compress them into four or five years. So you're going to be like three, four, five X more stuff happening. But then the reality is that by compressing it, it's not just that amount of stuff that happens or unexpected things. It's just incrementally more. And it's across the board. It's just the strange things that happen when you put millions of pairs of people together. It's mm-hmm. the fact that you you know, end up in a legislative environment where you need to lobby at a federal state level or you know, federal, state, and local level. It's the, you know, the challenge of running a senior team, the challenge of running a junior team, the fact that you're you know, dealing with you know, very serious investors. Like It's all a very compressed timeline. So it's not like there's any one thing that stands out to me. I was like, oh my goodness, like, it's crazy that happened. It's more just a general sense of like, wow, by compressing the timeline that it takes to build a business, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, one minute you're dealing with lobbyists and legislation, the next minute it might be a management issue, the next minute you're dealing with an investor, then it's a tech question. Like, it's kind of full range, everything. How do you kind of jump in between and how do you teach yourself? I mean, I think it's just massive context switching. So yeah, it's... There is a constant change of context. You know, in any day, there's you know, 40, 50 different individual blocks of time that mm-hmm. you're using to focus on different things. And I think it's more important to find time to completely disconnect than ever before. So knowing that you're going to have a block of time from you know, 6, 30, 7 in the morning until 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, where it's largely going to be completely blocked and scheduled... Mm-hmm. Whenever you're not there, it's very important, I find, to actually disconnect and block time unless there's something crazy urgent happening and truly spend time with other people. And for me, that's you know my wife or friends, and to really engage in that. And like more than ever, when you're not on, to decide to be off. Because I think it's very easy to... you know be quasi on or quasi connected yeah. mm-hmm. and it kind of sucks you know you take a you take a saturday or a sunday or you know an evening and 
if you're checking your phone every 30 seconds or even every 20 minutes, yeah, you're not on. You're you're not you're neither on nor off. You're not actually disconnected and you know truly connecting with another human and like having a conversation. But nor are you super productive, and it's not like you're truly adding a ton of value by checking your phone every 15 minutes and you know making sure that whatever <laughs> stats are supposed to be happening, your bookings are coming in, or your pros are going out, or your customer service tickets are being properly monitored. I think it's more important than ever to just be truly disciplined and compartmentalized. And when you're on, be super on, super focused in the moment, present. And then when you're off, to be okay with it and say, look, for the next three hours, I'm actually not going to check my phone. I'm going to put it on airplane mode and or I'm going to put it on, you know, do not disturb or whatever it is. And if somebody blows up you know, or something blows up, like, yeah, it'll ding. But other than that, I'm actually going to be in the moment with another person and engage with them. How do you train yourself? Cause I mean, and people try this, but they always get... They're always checking their phones. Do you put it? Do you turn it? Actually, put it in airplane mode, or you put it in a box somewhere, or hide it, or you, just, you know you're disciplined enough just to keep it, keep it down. So we used to play a game way back, and uh, the game was myself and some friends. We would go for dinner, and we would take all our phones and put them in the middle of the table. So we, you know, two, three, four guys, and we put them in the middle of the table. And if anybody needed to check their phone, they would pay for dinner. So there'd be a pile of iPhones or Android phones in the middle of the table. Whoever needed to check their phone before the end of the meal would pay for dinner. I like that. That's, that's a good one. I mean, it's a simple one, right? And, uh, and it works. Yeah, it teaches everyone well. I mean, it, it teaches... It, it tr- you're trying to condition yourself to not engage with interrupted things unless those things are actually important. I mean, we have a, a rule at Handy when we have certain meetings in place where there's no phones. It's just like no phones, no devices, no iPads. Mm -hmm. Everything is like whatever the material is, it's printed. We have a Tuesday morning uh, leadership and uh, uh, management meeting that runs from, you know, eight in the morning all the way through until 11 and all the different groups. And there's no devices for the entire time. You can go out, take a bio break and use your phone. But uh, if you use your phone, it's $20 fine. Yeah, phones really are the the new cigarettes. I'm going to take a phone break outside. Yeah, and I mean, it's the same. I actually think it's the same with laptops. You know, people bring laptops to meetings and they're actually not engaged in the meeting. They're checking GChat or they're on Slack or they're doing 15 other things. Yes, yeah, anything but. They're not, doing, they're not taking notes, I'll tell you that. They're definitely not taking notes. And I think, it's, I think it's just really important to figure out how to build systems and processes and rules for yourself and your team and your org that actually help everyone become better rather than, like, distracted Mm -hmm. and you can decide to do that you know i mean we we were talking before this about going for a run like going for a run is one of those things that you build into your day because it makes you better at everything else yeah you're not checking your phone you're you're not checking your phone for me runs fall into like kind of three different like the the first third where all i can think is like work 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 like oh my goodness i should do this i should Mm -hmm. do this the middle third is when I have this like moment of clarity when everything just like fades away and I'm like actually thinking about my breathing and like it's a wonderful time and then the last third is like just don't die yes where I, like my heart just wants to fall out of my chest and I just want to keel over and die and all I can think is just keep running and don't die do you have weekends were you able to turn off like for full days at a time or is it you're always working I try and take blocks of time at the weekend it it'll be rare that I'll take a full like day and say okay like I'm not going to do anything for this day um, but I'll take blocks of time. Mm-hmm. So like whether it's going for a run on a Saturday or Sunday morning and then cooking some food, you know, actually spending time with people. Um, but it's rare I'll take like a full entire day and mm-hmm. block the day. I'll generally have like a little bit of work that I'll do either morning, mid, or evening. Handy's based in New York City. What made you choose New York and was there a temptation to go maybe to Silicon Valley? Look, I, I think 
We started in Boston, and every business has stakeholders. Like whether it's, uh, you know, you could rank them from you know importance for certain businesses. It's a very deep technical bench of mm. you know biologists, or in some cases it's to be close to federal government. In other cases, it's to be close to sources of capital. Other cases, it's to be close to I don't know education institutions. Mm. For us, we figured what was most important was to live and breathe and smell and feel the most important market in the world for us. Mm. And that market's right here in New York. So within 30 miles of where we're sitting right now, radius, we can build a billion-dollar business just here. And that's incredibly... Just serving the New York area. Just serving 30 miles, a 30-mile circle of where Mm. we're sitting right now. You could build a billion-dollar business just doing that. And... I think that's really powerful. I'd never lived in New York before, neither had my co-founder, and I think if we were truly going to build a business that was going to serve this market and win it and own it, then we were going to need to be here, or a significant number, a significant part, or portion of us were going to need to be here. And I think that's really what drove us to say, like, when you look at your stakeholders, the most important stakeholders for us were going to be our customers and our professionals. Mm-hmm. And we were going to be able to build a great team. Like the depth of talent you have in e-commerce and service marketplace is pretty deep right here. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a thing where we have to be in the valley. And I think as a result, we've been fortunate enough to be in New York when the New York tech ecosystem has exploded. So it's, you know, really been on the map. And mm-hmm. I think we've been fortunate and blessed to be a part of that for the last five years. Yeah, it makes sense. I assume that. You know, there's such a huge density of both customers and pros. Uh, not to mention, you have the whole public transportation system, which I'm sure makes the economics a lot easier for your professionals or for your cleaners, or maybe not. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really insightful. It makes a huge difference if you think about local marketplaces where you've got people in different income categories providing services to one another. So our professionals are obviously typically earning definitely on the cleaning side earning less on a per hour basis than our customers mm-hmm. like that's the it's a labor arbitrage and the big difference there is where they live and the transportation system in New York is incredible so you know you can go from a neighborhood where the average income is 25 30 40,000 dollars a year to an average income of 150 200,000 dollars a year for you know a couple of bucks in the subway mm-hmm. and i think that network makes a huge difference in terms of the efficacy of building local labor marketplaces and you think about other cities where that doesn't exist you don't have that and you've got this car problem and then you've got the parking problem that goes with it and paying for gas yeah eats into your your, if you're you're making you're making a living here and that eats into your the gas the parking the traffic the if you get a ticket you know it's not that two dollars on the subway it could be a whole you know, people could spend 20 bucks getting to a job, so to speak. Exactly. And it just makes it really hard for it for the economics to work for our professionals in that case. Do the pros have different zones or even buildings? I figure there's neighborhoods or even buildings that someone could work in all day if they needed to, to be super efficient and just go up and down elevators instead of having to you know, move their supplies around, having to you know, travel around the city. 
Is that is that baked into your algorithm and your services? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the magical things about local businesses, local marketplaces, is when you hit scale, when you hit this point where you've got more density than anyone else, the experience just gets better for both sides. So mm-hmm. we have professionals that you know ride up and down the elevator between jobs, and that's incredible. We have professionals that walk you know from one building to the other right next door to do work, and I think that experience is only because we've built so much density. We provide, you know, 10 times more cleaning, home cleaning in New York than, you know, pretty much anyone else, mm-hmm. and that allows us to deliver that experience for for our professionals. And it's also pretty magical for our customers because it means, you know, the pros are happier, it's less likely they're ever going to be late, and it just delivers this experience that's that's incredible. And kind of going forward, the next year, what are you most excited about? Look, I, I think for the next year, I'm pretty excited about going deeper into the markets we're already in. We're seeing very, very, very happy customers right now. We've been focused for the last year and a half on really building sustainable unit economics, making sure that you know the business is not just gross margin or contribution margin positive, but like is in a very strong place. And I think we're very excited about making sure we continue to prove that out, getting to sustainability, getting to profitability. And I think the most exciting thing for me is just watching the pro base and the customer base continue to grow and continue to be very, very happy. So it's one thing to have happy customers when you're really small. It's another thing to have happy customers and pros when you get to a larger scale. And I think that's the, that's the exciting part for us. That's great. I think that's a perfect place to end this. So Oshin Henrahan from Hendy, thank you so much for joining. Mr. Bertoni, thank you. That's it for this episode of The Forbes Interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is... Tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.